Welcome to the Merlin Podcast, bringing Europe's fresh waters back to life. Europe's fresh waters are in an alarming state. Water pollution, habitat destruction and the ongoing effects of climate change have caused significant biodiversity loss and ecological decline across the continent. There is a pressing need for ambitious freshwater restoration projects which tackle these declines and help bring rivers, streams, peatlands and wetlands back to life. Merlin is a major European Union funded project which is investing millions of euros to help mainstream freshwater restoration across the continent over the coming years. This is the first Merlin podcast and I'm your host, Rob St John. Here's Merlin Project Coordinator Sebastian Burke to tell us more. At the beginning of this first Merlin podcast, I briefly like to introduce you to the Merlin Project. Merlin is about mainstreaming the restoration of Europe's wetlands and peatlands, rivers and their floodplains. These vital systems are too often overlooked unless hazards such as severe floods or serious water scarcity are reported in the media. We have used these systems to our advantage for decades or even centuries now, as they provide fertile soils, um, irrigation water and suitable shipping routes. We know that we've lost so much freshwater life in Europe. We are now witnessing unprecedented weather extremes with terrifying results. Well, both aspects clearly show that we need to change our habits, our old ways to treat the environment, to treat our waters We literally need to bring Europe's fresh waters back to life. The Merlin project is about freshwater restoration, providing solutions on how we can transform the old ways, understanding the multiple benefits of restored nature, its beauty, its services for us humans, its opportunities for leisure and well-being, and its richness in plants and animals. And perhaps its chances for a sustainable green economy. The restoration of Europe's wetlands and peatlands, rivers and floodplains provide solutions for the pressing issues of environmental degradation and climate change. These solutions, uh, they are the nature-based solutions, lie at the heart of the Merlin project. For the benefit of nature while at the same time serving society and economy. Well, for sure, these are noble aspirations. Um, and Merlin likes to contribute to the specific freshwater focus in a context that more and more opens up to the idea of um, the necessary societal change. Merlin supports 17 major freshwater restoration projects across Europe from huge transnational rivers to small rural streams and from remote peatlands to suburban wetlands. At each site, the project works with scientists and environmental managers to help implement the nature-based solution which Sebastian talked about. These solutions are wide-ranging and include dam removal, beaver reintroduction and floodplain reconnection, to name but a few. The plan is to help mainstream these approaches across Europe, not only by demonstrating their environmental importance, but also the social and economic benefits they can bring. In July 2022, 
I travelled to the Netherlands to meet Merlin practitioners working on the large river restoration sites. Over a number of hot, sunny days, we explored floodplains across the Rhine Valley, which had been restored through a major project called Room for the River. Started in 1995, Room for the River worked to reconnect the Rhine with its floodplains, which had become isolated through the construction of dikes and levees. By making room for the river to periodically inundate its floodplains, new spaces for biodiversity habitat, carbon storage and recreation have been brought back to the Rhine catchment. Here's Tom Bowser from Deltares, a Netherlands partner in Merlin. We are actually at the northeast point of the Polder Noordwaard, which is one of the largest uh, uh, projects uh, of the Room for the River program uh, in the Netherlands. And here they uh, transformed an agriculture area into a, a wetland when we have high floods from the from the river, so that uh, the both the farmers but also the cities around this area are protected. We can see it, it has dramatically changed over the two last two decades. It was an agriculture area with potatoes and maize and now it's an, uh, an, uh, an area with, uh, with water and uh, uh, but also the farms they are elevated on, uh, on, on small hills so that they won't get flooded when it's uh, a high water area. And what we see here very close by are willows as a nature-based solution uh, to protect a small area and uh, the result of that is that they didn't need to build the dike as high as possible. It could be one meter lower due to the willows which uh, reduce the, the waves by, uh, the, the, in, in this open area. Close by, we climb a water tower looking out over the floodplain. There are wetland birds everywhere. Spoonbill, marsh harrier, black-tailed godwit. Here's Marika de Lange from Rijkwaterstaat, the Dutch National Water Agency. We are here in the Noordwaard. This is one of the largest Room for the River projects. Uh, and we are looking over uh, part of the, the nature area and still part of the agriculture area. Uh, we've made a lot of room for high water flows for the river, so if needed it can flood, but in, uh, like we're here now at the end of June, it's a beautiful summer day. Uh, it's wonderful to look here and, and see both the farms, the economy, but also the nature. With the spoonbills, we've passed spoonbills on the way up here. At this uh, particular site uh, where we, we have a nice view, it's all, but it's also one of the pumping sites that if need comes, then we can pump away the excess of water. So it's, for, it's a technical site in a way, uh, but it's also used as a, as a viewing site to, to enjoy the, the, the whole area. Our next stop is the Beesbosch National Park Museum, where we stand on a scale model of the floodplain, complete with miniature floodgates, which can be opened and closed. With water flowing under our feet, Eric Mosselman from Deltares explains more. We are at the museum of the Noordwaard uh, area. That was an area that used to be in use for agriculture, so polder area, uh, that had been reclaimed uh, in, in periods before. But now it has been given back 
to nature, let's say, uh, to uh, in, in the program of Room for the River, to give space for floodwaters. And you can see uh, a scale model here. We are standing uh, in a scale model at the museum, where the whole system with the main rivers and also the polders and the creeks uh, has been reproduced at scale. And the fun thing is that children can play with it because certain polders uh, can be closed off by gates or you can open them so that the water flows. And what you also see very clearly is that there is a dike. This was the previous embankment and that these dikes have been opened. So you see a bridge over there um, to let in the floodwaters uh, in case of a flood. Back out on the floodplains, we climb another water tower. Here's Joost Bucks from Rack Waterstad. Oh, we are here in the Netherlands in a location which is part of Room of the Rivers, the Noordwaard. And me as an ecologist, I find it very special. I saw, I'm not sure about the English name, but the Dutch is a bruine kiekendief. I see spoonbills, I see the lark, I hear singing. It's a beautiful day, sunshine, and I'm happy that uh, Next to safety, the project brings a lot of ecology and nature back to the Netherlands. Well, it used to be agriculture landscape, and if you look now, you see the yellow, you see the purple, you see the water, flowers blooming. It's much more colorful. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah. This, this is uh, since 1915 started construction, to, uh, so 2015, 2018, so it's pretty new. So um, I would love to be here in 10 years and see what then develops, because nature is an ongoing process and it needs time to, to grow and to be uh, fully equipped. And some, some habitats need time to, to develop. And, well, it would be nice to, to be back here in 10 years and see how then things uh, are doing. Yeah. The goose. <laughs> Later in the day, we gather in the grounds of the medieval Lovestein Castle, located on the floodplain and surrounded by a large moat. I caught up with Tom Bowser again to get his impressions of the big issues emerging from the Large Rivers projects in Merlin. We are in the framework of the Merlin project. We have a field visit for the cluster of large rivers. We have about 40 people attending uh, this meeting, people from Romania, Hungary, Germany, Austria, and the Netherlands, where the large rivers, the Danube, the Tissa, the Rhine, and other large rivers are flowing. The large, the large rivers uh, have uh, several topics in common. On the one hand, they uh, serve navigation, and that is uh, 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 one of the issues of the Green Deal. It's, I think uh, navigation is thought as a form of sustainable transport. But how do you combine that with ecological restoration and ecological improvement of the large, uh, large rivers? So some of the examples of the, of the measures that have been taking place within the project, for instance, uh, within Austria, is to see how you can uh, combine navigation with uh, floodplain uh, restoration. The other uh, central topic is uh, that floodplains are drying out. Floodplains are drying out because the large rivers have been straightened and the riverbed is incising, it's, coming, it's laying deeper, and at the same time the floodplains are aggrading and coming uh, higher. And the result is that they are drying out. And the Water Framework Directive hasn't 
not paid enough attention to the, to the floodplains. So therefore, this is a, a central topic within the Merlin project that we try to see where we can reconnect and re-wet floodplains along the Danube, along the Tissa, along the Rhine, within Europe. It's uh, important uh, to focus on restoration in, in general, um, but uh, also in, the, in, in terms of the climate change, uh, that we see that uh, the, the discharges of, of large rivers are, are changing, uh, melting glaciers in the, in the Alps, uh, and uh, more extreme weather events. We see that uh, in terms of droughts and floods, also the large rivers are, are, are changing. And uh, from that perspective, we have to better reconnect uh, floodplains to the, to, the, to the main channel and see what types of measures we can do uh, to uh, mitigate these, uh, these impacts. And large rivers are corridors for, for, for species distribution also. And so uh, it, uh, if you do a, a floodplain in a, of an ecological restoration very well, then it can also be repopulated quite, quite quickly. So there's also a big potential uh, with the large rivers to, to do so. But there are also uh, uh, trade-offs. Uh, uh, tra one of the trade-offs is with agriculture. Floodplains are being used by agriculture. But the droughts of, the, of recent years all across Europe has also shown agriculture that they should not only try to discharge water as soon as possible, but, but also think how, how can we keep water for uh, drier periods. With large rivers, you're not talking about small projects, so they are very costly. At, and, and there are multiple stakeholders. There are, large rivers are, are multifunctional systems. They, yeah, they, I already mentioned they serve navigation. The floodplains serve agriculture. Um, and, um, but if we see what, what, what projects for, uh, they serve flood protection, but if you see what, what the projects cost to do something, they're very, very expensive. But there's a way forward, and that's to not to think in single goals, not to think only in terms of ecological restoration, but also to think that restoration serves other purposes. And we've seen that this morning in, in, in the Netherlands there, uh, where the Room for the River project, which had flood protection as its main aim, but also uh, to improve spatial quality, spatial quality for, for people, but also spatial quality for, uh, for biota, for animal and, and, and plants. And uh, the, the area has changed and it's now attracting uh, tourism from all over the place to come there to watch, to watch birds. And uh, so the, the, the quality has improved. So thinking in terms of more diverse goals, multifunctional goals can also uh, motivate people, let's do it, and also uh, initiate more funding to uh, an upscale large restoration of large rivers. Our group of freshwater restorationists then walk out along footpaths through the Manikinland Wetland Nature Reserve. Suddenly, the group stops to peer beneath some dead wood strewn on the floodplain. What are we looking at right now, Jis? 
het, het, het salamander. In Duits is het, het, het toet, het is, I think, in... Noot, noot. You know the names? Yeah. yeah. So we've got a great crested newt and we're on the floodplain. And are these... They live in these pools, which are in the, the close, small pools that they hatch, lay their eggs, the small ones grow up. And then when they are young and they lose their gills, then they come ashore and they look for shelter. And there they survive till the next spring and then they go back to the pool again and do their thing. Okay, so they've been yeah. actively managed for on this yeah, floodplain. Yeah, so the, the kettle stays out, so the pool isn't ruined or mashed up yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how uh, biology is working. <laughs> Further along the path, raised up above the floodplains with swift swooping through the air, I walk with her Chan healing from Deltaris. Well, we are in Munnike Land. It's a Dutch rehabilitation site. And, um, uh, yeah, it, it is important because they moved the dike to enlarge the floodplain. So there's more water storage uh, when there's a high water discharge. And at the same time, it's uh, a nature rehabilitation area. So they created a whole wetland so we can see all these connected uh, water sites here, grasslands, and uh, you can also see the old ditch system because it used to be agricultural land here and it's been transformed to nature. Uh, so actually it is a good example for room for the river because here they were able to create more room for the river and not in every place they can do that in a horizontal sense where they can move the dike. Most places the dikes are fixed and there's so much population outside of the dikes that they create the room for the river by going deeper in the floodplains and uh, creating side channels and um, yeah, so double connected side channels where you have flowing water for rheophilic fish but also uh, single-sided connected side channels that have all the values for water plants. The National River Authority is concerned with um, if you get too much vegetation so this is what's going to change of course the vegetation and if you get Willow settlement. These, uh, if they are in the streamline of the river, these willows hamper the high discharges. So you get um, even higher flood levels than you would have had. It's the hydraulic resistance of vegetation. So they have a, a maintenance plan or targets which vegetation, how much can be allowed to to grow. But it's always a combination. If you design your floodplain to be a little bit lower, then you have more say room to let vegetation uh, grow freely so there's more room for nature as well so this is a part of the demonstration case and um, in in merlin we so this this demonstration case actually spans back 20 years 1997 1995 it started the planning and it um, uh, so we we try to we are going to show all the benefits that were created by implementing the room for the river in terms of uh, the uh, green deal criteria and uh, and um, our implementation case is also a similar uh, case to this this study so here they they are able to store water also after a flood and create ecological benefits for that and we are going to implement the same kind of idea in other parts in the in the Rhine uh, in our Rhine system and that's the implementation case from from Berlin. Great. The following morning 
The Merlin group sets out along a floodplain next to the River Wall, a major side channel of the Rhine. Birds are singing and wildflowers are blooming. Here's Hans Stockermans from Rijkwaterstadt. We are here in, uh, at the side of the river, uh, the Waal, which uh, is the main river in uh, the Netherlands. And uh, we have here uh, a project which has developed uh, space for, for the river, for the discharge, to lower uh, the water level in this uh, river. So it was a project for safety, but it was also a project for nature. So it was uh, financed from two sides, from nature and for the safety. And it was a project which uh, already started a long time ago, but it took also a long time. Uh, but it was, in fact, a project which started before the uh, project of the room for the river. But it already made room for the river. So <laughs> what you uh, actually can see is that the thinking about safety and about nature comes already from a long time ago. And uh, I know myself, I started for this organization, Rijkswaterstaat, 30 years ago. But already in that time, we started with this type of, of projects. And what we uh, found out is that um, the river was developed uh, before in a very artificial way. Uh, the river was locked up, locked up between the dikes, the main dikes, but also the lower dikes. It was locked up also by the grains in the, in the river system, the river bed. So nature didn't develop itself. Uh, actually, it, it went worse and worse. So those things were the games, uh, the aims in this uh, in this project already uh, 15 years ago, I think, that it started, no longer, 20 years ago that it started. And in those days, it was not uh, allowed to have side channels in the, in the system. It was the discharge in the main river system that was important for the shipping. So when you make a side channel and you connect it with the main channel, then it takes a lot of water out of it. And then it lowers then the, uh, the level in the, in the main system. So that was not allowed. So we had a lot of struggle to uh, argue maybe it could be an advantage to make side channels. And then we had to calculate how much discharge would be allowed. <laughs> Well, what we see is actually here the side channel and the, the discharge from the main channel. Uh, it has been dug out and um, uh, in the landscape you can see uh, the, the forest uh, developing, the willows, uh, lots of willows. And uh, they can develop here in a more natural way. Uh, natural uh, is always a difficult word in, in, in our river system because uh, it comes really close how much vegetation is allowed uh, according to the safety uh, um, level. Walking further along the dike, I catch up with Sebastian Burke again to get his impressions of the gathering. Well, it's uh, the week after midsummer, and uh, that means we have long days and short nights. And, uh, well, finally, summer came to the Netherlands, obviously. 
and uh, it's uh, pretty enjoyable to be out with this group of uh, more than 40 people being interested in the work that Merlin is doing and that these uh, super interesting case studies are doing and uh, the Dutch colleagues are yeah, giving us um, an amazing tour through their floodplains. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy and, and positive about what we see here. First of all, I would think that these large rivers are pretty unique ecosystems of um, yeah, very prominent importance uh, in, in our landscapes across Europe because it's mostly about uh, a flooding issue that, that people are very aware of because that is, uh, has caused uh, in, in the history um, yeah, so much damage and so much uh, fatalities that uh, we cannot just ignore these ecosystems and uh, therefore I think the role of, of large rivers when it comes to restoration is always thinking about flood protection in the first place and then understanding that obviously these guys here in, in the Netherlands have the idea of increasing biodiversity uh, pretty well related to the flood protection issue and uh, understanding that there is a balance to be um, considered between um, the flood protection on the one hand which has the highest priority for sure and on the other hand biodiversity and then also uh, recreational benefits that, that come with all of this. So th that is that is uh, the, the interesting mixture um, that we can learn about here in, in these days. Did you know that one? I don't know, I don't recognize that, 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 is, that is a flower that, that uh, blooms uh, during the night wow. and attracts uh, those uh, butterflies that, that fly through the night. Large rivers, they are waterways and uh, there's of course the, the element, the aspect of, of the usage of these waterways for for transport especially of cargo cargo transport and um, what one may argue that uh, this mode of transportation is is more climate friendly more carbon friendly and therefore there is a an increasing push towards having more cargo transported via these waterways uh, but on the other hand uh, well, this requires infrastructure and this requires uh, yeah, to keep uh, these waterways open and maintained. And um, the question that we also address in the Merlin project, but which is a kind of an overarching question, is uh, in how far can we find this balance, again another balance, uh, to keep these as traffic roads versus uh, yeah, shorelines, uh, riparian areas and floodplains that allow for uh, biodiversity to thrive. I, two weeks ago I was at the small streams uh, cluster meeting in the Merlin project in, in the Basque country and, and these colleagues over there, they showed us their remarkable um, impact they made with removing the the barriers from from the rivers and there was one person explaining it that it is 
mainly about winning the hearts of the people that brings restoration um, yeah, to the front. And uh, in this regard, I suppose there is quite some way ahead of us. And uh, we hope that the Merlin project, uh, along with all the other initiatives that are currently ongoing, can make this step forward. So, yeah, in, in this regard, it's uh, also a steep learning curve for all of us that this lies in the center, winning the hearts of the people. The final stop of our trip is on a floodplain near the city of Nijmegen. We can see the city skyline and suburban houses and a steady flow of bike traffic passes our group as we walk. I catch up with Marika Delanga one more time to get her thoughts on the site and the meeting. We are now at the, in the Oipolder, Buiten Oi. We are walking on the, the Sommerdijk. Uh, and we just passed the, the little sluice that is used to manage the water inside or between the Sommerdijk and the Winterdijk. Uh, this is one of our uh, examples of how we can, what we want to do in Merlin as our uh, implementation case, to have more floodplains that can retain the water longer. So we use the sluice then in a way to hold the water inside longer and not letting it out. So it's an old structure and a new function. So that's the big idea here, old structures, new functions. Yes, because we use the old structures like the Sommerdijk was used to uh, make agriculture possible between the Sommerdijk and the Winterdijk. The agriculture is gone, it's now all for nature. So, but the Sommerdijk is still here, we're not going to dig it away. Uh, so we use it to keep the water inside longer. And is this idea of old structures, new function being applied across a lot of Rhine floodplains? It's, uh, I think where we are now is the very first example that it's really uh, being used like that. And we want to use it at more places because the, you don't have to do technically that much. Digging soil and then moving soil, that's always expensive. Uh, so better to use the structures that are already there and try to optimize it for nature. And how has this landscape changed from what it was before to what it is now after restoration? Wait for this car to go fast. <laughs> well, there are st there's still some traffic here. A tour car driver, he's from uh, the city of Nijmegen, he said to me, like, this used to be a busy road. Uh, as you can see now, it's not a busy road anymore. So this area used to be agriculture, like more or, more or less industrialized agriculture. Uh, a lot of traffic. I think there was some, uh, still a stone factory, a brick stone factory here. Uh, so it was really for, uh, for people to use. And now you can see it's still a road, but it's for recreation. There's a lot of bicycles over here and some cars still, but it's a recreation area. Yeah. And you can see the bridge there. Nijmegen. The people from Nijmegen can just walk there. There's a new bridge to enter this area. So this is like the, the backyard of Nijmegen. So tell me about your experience of this last couple of days. It's been really nice having all the large river cluster leads together and so much uh, big ideas and big ambitions being shared. What, what, what have been your takeaways from, from this meeting? Um, that there, that is a lot of uh, that we share on, in our uh, yesterday's presentations about the strengths and the weaknesses. A lot of uh, things that are similar, and what st struck me as most different, like we're in the Netherlands, far away from the war in Ukraine, but our Romanian partner said if the grain prices go up, then uh, the, the the farmers will 
keep wanting to sell the grain and they won't go into nature. So that was really that instruction. We were like, okay, we have very similar things, but also uh, close to Ukraine, you're close to the war. Yeah. That's a very, very big threat. So large river floodplains are really tied into these much bigger systems, political, social, economic. Yes, and there's only so much that we, as, as, as uh, ecologists, can, can make happen. But like large, the world's politics, we, it's out of our reach, it's out of our circle of influence. But we have to deal with it. Do you see these landscapes as hopeful or inspirational landscapes, the way they've changed? Do, do they make you feel hopeful about the future? Yes, because this is the, my favorite Dutch landscape. And uh, when I, uh, I work at the Rijkswaterstaat and we have a lot of water safety and shipping people at the Rijkswaterstaat. And what I keep telling them is that our Dutch river system is unique in Europe and how we're transforming it. It's not completely natural yet. We still combine functions. But look at this and the flowers and, and it's, of course, beautiful weather that really makes me, it inspires me, makes me hopeful. Yes. And so, one last question, the Merlin project, that's another hopeful, inspiring project. Yes, it is. What do you imagine the work is going to take place over the next few years, both in yourself and in the large river cluster? Uh, what we try to do with the, 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 basically the money we get from the Merlin project is to use it as, as nudges, as seed money, uh, to make other projects uh, easier to, to, uh, uh, to happen. So we, uh, like a nudge, like a, like a push in their back, a stimulus. And how's this landscape going to look in the next few years? <laughs> Actually, here, not, nothing much is going to change because this is already, uh, already more or less as good as it gets from, from all the other functions that is needed. But I think what uh, Alphonse just explained, we want to get the water in at, uh, earlier in the season. Uh, so it will be even more flowering and blossoming and birds more profiting from the food web here. Okay, old structures, new ecologies. New ecologies, right. You can find out more about the Merlin Project on our website at project-merlin.eu. You can keep up with our progress through our social media channels and on our blog at freshwaterblog.net. The Merlin Project is funded by the European Commission's Horizon 2020 programme. This podcast was presented and produced by me, Rob St John, and the music is by Sebastian's band, Scala. Until next time, thanks for helping us bring Europe's fresh waters back to life.